On today's episode of the podcast, I share my first 40 days postpartum. I give my biggest pieces of advice for how to replenish and heal and rest deeply at this really crucial time. I share a really specific list of things that I have found are really helpful. And I also talk about some of the pitfalls and things to avoid postpartum. It really is the big postpartum episode. Bread is life. In fact, my entire family absolutely loves bread. But I like to make sure that what we're eating counts. And if you're like me, you're going to love Hero Bread. Hero Bread makes those same delicious bready favorites free of consequences or compromises. They have remade carby, empty calorie bread products into fluffy, delicious versions that include no net carbs, zero grams of sugar, and protein and fiber. Think of that soft, fluffy experience that you love when you're enjoying a refreshing BLT, savory breakfast burrito, or mouth-watering cheeseburger. But now it's made to really nourish you deeply. Hero Bread has something for every favorite, including sliced bread loaves, buns, and tortillas. My team tried Hero Bread and said it was the most fulfilling thing ever, but it also felt lighter and healthier. So switch to Hero Bread now and you won't be disappointed. They even have a monthly small batch drops of indulgent favorites like the 2-gram net carb herb croissant or the 1-gram net carb herb cheddar biscuit. Don't give up being a breadhead. Hero Bread is offering 10% off your order. Go to hero.co and use the code yogagirl at checkout. That's yogagirl at h-e-r-o dot c-o. Let's jump in. Hello, my friends, my dearest community, my people. Hi, hi, hi. Welcome to a brand new episode of From the Heart with Rachel Brayton. I am sitting here quietly in the corner of my bedroom, looking out the window. I have a little candle lit by my side and a big, big cup of ginger tea. I'm burning some Palo Santo and just was able to have a couple of quiet moments here, just breathing to myself before turning on the recorder. I want to start off by just thanking everyone, all of you, for the many beautiful messages you sent my way about our dear Kila passing last week. I feel just very seen and held and really supported by so many of you, so thank you for that. This really has been a, a wild year. We continue to receive just really overwhelming news from loved ones and friends and people going through really heavy times and there's just a lot of goodbyes happening this year in many ways and of course a lot of beautiful hellos and it seems like a completion of so many circles and cycles in a way and a lot of new beginnings and just for so many people a really big year yeah yeah a really big year so I hope that Whatever life has thrown your way this year or the past couple of months, weeks, that you feel your feet steady on the earth and that you're able to ride the waves, right? Because I think that's really what life and these practices that we're also immersed in to feel good and to take care of ourselves, it's what it's really about. You know, it's not avoiding the waves or moving around the waves, but having enough tools and resources to actually flow. And to uh, appreciate the highs when they're here and to honor and respect and be humble when we end up in the low. 
knowing that wherever we are, this too shall pass. So yeah, so I'm just sitting here with a very open heart. I mean, I have, I feel like I have a permanently wide open, vulnerable heart. It's like my heart is beating outside of my chest every moment of the day. I feel everything very acutely and intensely. You know, the way we do postpartum and breastfeeding and just going through everything that has has come my way in the past months. It's made me feel very raw and um, yeah, very present also in everything that I'm feeling. And the, when I'm speaking to you now, so I am actually officially, I'm, I'm, I'm arriving at the 40 day mark of postpartum and life with Finn. Um, Phineas Sol Bear. <laughs> I very spontaneously and spur of the moment added Bear to his name when we registered him at the at the tax office the other day or the other week, um, which we had to do because we birthed at home. And I didn't know we had to put his name down. I called to ask and they said, no, you have to register him within a month. And then you have you have three months in total before you need to register his name. So you can take your time. And I was like, okay. So we know it's Phineas Soul. We always, I mean, not always, but we knew that. And then I just had this, I really, I can't stop calling him Bear. <laughs> it felt so weird to not have Bear in his name, but I thought we can give it some time and then we'll see where we're at in another two months, you know. Hopefully something has really solidified by then. And then we got to the tax office when he was, you know, three and a half weeks or something. And uh, they gave me a form and it was like name of child. And I was like, shit, <laughs> name? Like we have to put his name down right now. Like obviously you can change it. It's not that big of a deal to change a name. But it, of course it is a big deal to, to choose a name, you know, and to put that down on a form for the first time. So I just wrote Phineas Sol and then I, I had a little gap and I just was, no, for sure. Like, he can't not be a bear. So I put bear. <laughs> Phineas, Sol, bear, Schoenewald. And then I handed the form to Dennis. I'm like, you need to sign this. And then he looked at it. He's like, uh-huh, okay. So we're, we're doing that, huh? I'm like, yeah, let's go. He's like, okay. <laughs> so we have a little bear. Um, I actually call him bear more than I call him Finn. When I, when I talk to him ab about him with people, you know, I just put Finn down for a nap or Finn is sleeping or Finn is eating or Finn is doing great, Finn. And then I talk, I say Finn. When I'm talking to him, I just call him Bear. So I really feel like I say Bear, he he looks at me, he listens. Like he's associating Bear more as his name, I think, already, if that's possible even. But yes, so we are reaching 40 days. And, you know, traditionally the first 40 days really marks... I mean, it marks the end of the postpartum period, but it doesn't at all, okay? Really, no, it's, it's more like the first 40 days postpartum are the most crucial, the most sensitive. It's the time when we are really supposed to honor our rest and replenishment and our healing. It really is this very sensitive, sacred time to bond with our newborn and, and, and be with our baby and meet this person for the first time and also meet this new version of ourselves for the first time with everything that brings and to really take just extra excellent amazing good care of ourselves which is of course very very hard to do there's probably not a time in our lives ever that when it's harder to focus on self-care 
And to, to meet our own needs, then it is immediately postpartum because we literally have a tiny brand new little human that requires everything of us. And it's such a contrasting truth, but it, it, it absolutely is true that the more we take care of ourselves and the more we allow ourselves to be taken care of by other people, the better we can care for our little one. And it's hard to do and hard to allow, but it's absolutely crucial. And as I am arriving at this 40-day point, it really feels like a milestone. You know, they say we're, we're actually postpartum for seven years. Now, I've been really looking for the, for the source of this, but I read it somewhere and then I shared it on Instagram and a lot of people affirmed it like, yes, yes, I read that too, that actually, you know, we talk about six weeks and then you can go back to working out or wait six weeks to have sex or like six weeks is a magical time and then we can just jump back into everything, which of course is not true, but that it actually takes on average seven years for our bodies to return to some sort of like homeostasis, to some sort of balance or some semblance of our stores in our bodies being rebuilt to what they were before. You know, pregnancy and birth and the breastfeeding and the postpartum period is very depleting. Deeply, deeply depleting. It's very empowering and, and enriching in so many ways. But there is no time in our lives, really, truly, where we have a higher caloric and nutrient need than immediately postpartum. Um, there's no other time in our lives where we have a bigger shift in hormones in our bodies. So being pregnant, also this is also something I shared on Instagram the other day, being pregnant, the amount of hormones that we have rushing through our system and the drop that happens immediately when the, when the baby is born is so drastic. There's never another moment in our lives where we have such a drastic change. And it's the equivalent of taking 100 birth control pills every single day for 100 days or all throughout pregnancy and then just stopping one day. And for anyone who's ever been on birth control, taking one birth control pill per day. And then if you've ever gone off birth control and you know the, how intense that is and what a shift we experience in our bodies doing that. I did this when I was a teenager. I, I had a long-term boyfriend and was put on, uh, was recommended birth control by our, I, I still don't know the name for this. It's like our version of Planned Parenthood, I guess, in Sweden, except here it's very supported and, and government funded and um, yeah, just, just, it's like a place you go when you get your first period and then you can go there for free until you're 21. I think you think you can go from like, from, yeah, from when you're 12 to 21 or something. And you can ask any question about sexual health or about your period. You can get condoms there. If you need help with anything, you know, whatever you need, you go there and it's all free and you can go anytime and it's all anonymous. And I had this long-term boyfriend, my first long-term boyfriend, and I was recommended to birth, you know, to go on birth control the way all of us are, well-meaningly, of course. And I became so severely depressed immediately, immediately. Uh, I had such a shift in, in, in my, my young little, my young little body. And I cried for nine months. 
I have my diaries from that time. I just cried. I was just so depressed and I couldn't figure out why. Nowhere was it mentioned to me that maybe this massive hormonal shift in my body is too much for me or not good for me or not the right thing for me. Uh, I wasn't told to like look out for symptoms or come back if you don't feel good. They just gave me these pills so that I wouldn't be pregnant, you know, and that was that. And um, finally, someone told me, hey, isn't it the pill that's making you so sad? And I went back and I stopped and I just remember that massive shift in so many different ways in my body the moment I stopped you know, noticing the shift of just how I felt when I got on the pill and then how I felt getting off the pill. I mean, it's so overwhelmingly huge. So then imagine then being pregnant and it's like you're taking a hundred birth control pills. That's how flooded your body is with hormones. And then you give birth and boom, it's over. So, I mean, it's no, it's not strange that so many people get depressed postpartum and there's so much that goes into this. It's not just you know, the hormonal shift in the body. There's so much to this. Everything from being depleted, uh, not being supported, having a traumatic birth, all a million things play a part in, in how we feel postpartum. But I really feel, I really believe that there is so much we can do to prepare before we arrive at this really crucial time. And I really think it is absolutely essential that we prepare for ourselves postpartum. And we're not really so encouraged to do that. You know, we, we, I feel like we prepare and plan really well for pregnancy. And the moment we get pregnant, we, we learn everything about pregnancy and we learn everything about what to eat and what not to eat and how to take care of ourselves and what's good and what's bad and how do we do this pregnancy thing, right? And then we prepare a lot for the baby coming and we think about everything from how we're going to breastfeed to diapering to the things we want to buy and to clothes and to how, what kind of parent we want to be. And we, we get into all these meticulous, you know, thought patterns and preparations for how to care for a baby, of course. But no one really talks about ourselves, you know, for the postpartum period. What do I need? Um, how can I make sure that I am as supported as I can possibly be? And how can this version of me support the future version of me so that I am as cared for as possible? Um, how can I ask for help? How can I prepare? How can I plan? And it's something that I didn't do at all. My first pregnancy, I had no idea really what I would need for myself postpartum. I didn't know what postpartum was like. I kind of just thought that, you know, like maybe you're going to be sore for a while or it, you know, it hurts a little bit and then you just go back to what, what was and yeah, but you have a baby, right? Like the whole big thing was the baby. That was really all my focus. So I didn't really have, I didn't really have a rest period postpartum after my first, first birth. I didn't change anything around my diet um, at all, aside from the really stupid, well, yeah, I did. <laughs> I'm lying. When I say I didn't change anything in my diet, I mean, I didn't focus on replenishing myself. I wasn't focused on nourishing myself. I didn't know that I needed more nourishment postpartum than I did in pregnancy or prior. But what I did actually just, just like a touch postpartum, I don't even know how, how many months Leah was, is I went back to being vegan. And during pregnancy, I had had some fish, I had I had like a gap in my vegan times, and I had some fish, I'd had some dairy, some cheese, and then 
it was really from the from the the standpoint of how do I want to raise this baby when it's time for the baby to eat and talking to a lot of vegan friends and having that vegan mentality of this is what's right to do I decided to go back to being vegan when I was just freshly postpartum which I know now was really not great for me it meant I I ate less you know I ate less calories in a day it meant I ate less nourishing foods. It meant I ate less fats, less healthy fats, less protein. I mean, less of the things that you really, really need postpartum. So for me, that was just not great. I, and I, I do, I do, I don't regret because I don't really believe in regret because we can't change anything anyway. But I do have this wish, this little longing of I wish I was a little bit more knowledgeable then and that I did more research about the postpartum time and the postpartum body. So this time around, I really, really, really did. I really planned for being postpartum. I felt that feeling of being completely burnt out and depleted. Uh, and that didn't happen right after I had Leia, the way, you know, we're so full of oxytocin and just we're so in awe of this new baby and this experience we had. And I really think we're riding on this high for the first months. And the real depletion, that long-term depletion that's really harmful and that can really detrimentally affect our lives for the long haul, it lands later. You know, our bodies are really genius. We have all these stores of minerals and nutrients that we need and we give so much of it away. I mean, we really do. During pregnancy, during birth, we give so much of ourselves away and we do this emotionally, we do it energetically, but we actually also do it physically. And there is a recognized condition called maternal depletion. And they say it affects 50% of women. I'm, I'm pretty certain it's much higher than that. Meaning that we are become nutrient deficient in certain things uh, just because of having been pregnant and having given birth and breastfeeding. And these things include, of course, iron, we know that, but also our selenium stores are really low after pregnancy, iodine, folate, zinc, um, different kinds of B vitamins. We just have a lower store of things because we have literally grown, we've grown an organ inside of our body from scratch. We've grown a human from scratch using our own bodies. I mean, it just, of course, it makes sense. And also in the very end of pregnancy, the placenta passes a huge amount of fat to the baby just to fatten the baby up, which means that our essential fatty acids, our essential fat stores are also depleted. It's just a lot that that's missing. And, you know, iron, we lose blood, of course, not that that depends for each woman how much we lose, but there's always some kind of blood loss during, during birth. And while growing the baby, we lose our, from our own blood as well. So we have a big iron loss there. And it's just, it's just so, it's just such a massive change and massive shift in so many ways on so, on every level of the body and our whole entire being. And the fact that we don't, the fact that we don't have, I think most of us, <laughs> I even think that this postpartum period for me, which I planned meticulously which I, I really asked for help and for support in so many different ways. And looking at it now, I feel like, oh, I could have, <laughs> I could have rested more. I could have asked for more help. I could, have, I could have supported myself even better. And I really had a lot of support. 
you know, there are certain cultures where it's natural to support a new mother in different ways. And I feel, especially here in Sweden, it's really not there. It's really not there. So I wanted to share with you just today, um, before I start rambling here, just how I prepared. I'm, I've, I've been getting a lot of questions on this from, you know, pregnant people, people wanting to be mothers, people having been mothers, people who are just curious. I mean, I think this is a really important conversation to have. And I did, first of all, so much research. And I also did a lot of just balancing out of the things that I know I missed the first time around. And I was very privileged during this pregnancy that I had a lot of time on my hands, that I felt I was very supported. I had really calm, slow days. I had the time to prepare. And I know for most people that is not the case. Most people, the time before the baby comes, you know, it's it's hectic. And we have other kids and there's work and there's so many things to take care of and fix and figure out. So you can consider this just some of your own research, right? So I did a lot of research on a lot of this. And just if you feel something resonates with you or intuitively you go, oh, I want that. Or that makes sense for me. Or yes, that sounds like a beautiful way to nourish myself at that time. Then just copy paste, okay? And then do what I did. And then hopefully it will work for you too. Are you ready for spring? I sure am. Over here in Sweden, I make it my business to get outside and get some sunlight on my skin each and every day. But in the winter, that can be really hard and your body will feel the effect of that. Did you know that 97% of women ages 19 to 50 are not getting enough vitamin D from their diet? Luckily, Rituals Essential for Women 18 Plus was shown to increase vitamin D levels by 43% in a clinical study. Ritual is a clinically backed multivitamin for women 18 plus with high quality and traceable key ingredients in clean bioavailable forms. You get nine key nutrients in two delayed release capsules per day that optimize your body's absorption. And the best part, you can trust what you are putting in your body because Ritual has the USP verified mark. That means that the product contains the ingredients actually listed on the label. And only 1% of supplement brands are able to get this mark. So it's a big deal. Ritual's multivitamins are vegan, non-GMO project verified, gluten and major allergen free, certified B Corp and made traceable. I have taken Ritual for years because of reasons like this. I love knowing that the ingredients in my vitamins are actually doing their job. Otherwise, what's the point? No more shady business. Rituals Essential for Women 18 Plus is a multivitamin you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash yoga girl. Start Ritual or add Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash yoga girl for 25% off. So here are my first 40 days. I'm going to share some really specific pieces of advice and also, I'm going to answer some questions that I received from you guys, some really specific questions that I received on social media. And I'm also, I've written down a list of things, <laughs> like very rarely on this show do I share like a list of stuff, like buy this, get that, like, a, you know, but I really have found some things that I found so helpful. Of course, do you need to buy a bunch of stuff? No, you know, most of the things that you need are going to be support from other people and food and hydration and rest and things like that. But there are definitely some gadgets and some things that I found really helpful. And I'm going to share that list with you too. Okay. So yeah, so my first 40 days have been just really 
in terms of how much I've rested, I did so well in the very beginning. I had set a little goal for myself. I wanted to spend two weeks in bed. And I knew this was a, a bit of a stretch. It's very hard for me to spend one day in bed. But I really had planned for two weeks in bed. And when I say in bed, I really mean in bed. I don't mean like around the house, you know, the way you're home when you're caring for a kid or caring for someone. I really meant in bed. So I think it's, it's, it's a good thing to decide, you know, how long can you see yourself really resting, really remaining in bed, staying skin to skin with your baby, getting to know your baby, letting your body completely rest, letting your vagina completely rest, letting your uterus, giving, giving your whole body a break as you are figuring out breastfeeding or however you're feeding your baby. Um, figuring out, you know, sleep and this new human that is now taking over every aspect of your life. And for me, I really felt like two weeks in bed was reasonable. Um, there's an old saying that goes two weeks in the bed, two weeks on the bed and two weeks by the bed, which is really long. And that's, you know, six weeks, it's almost 40 days. Um, so that really the first two weeks, you're really, you know, you don't leave the bed space. You're really in that cocoon of being snuggled in bed with your baby, only leaving bed to go to the bathroom and back. And then the next two weeks, you know, you're kind of on the bed, you're staying kind of in the bedroom and you're here, but maybe you're getting dressed and you're kind of starting to venture out of that bubble a tiny bit, but you're still lying down, sitting down, resting. And then two weeks by the bed, meaning you stay home right? So that there's no big outings and endeavors and uh, no, no, not, nothing that breaks the postpartum bubble, you know, for those first six weeks. And for me, I felt like two weeks in bed is something I could do. And then after that, I would just stay home and see how I felt, kind of play it by ear, but rest as much as possible. And to do that, to be able to have even three days in bed, you know, to have a week in bed, to have whatever you decide, you're going to need some help. And hopefully, ideally, you have another human being there to help you. And this really is my number one biggest, most valuable piece of advice I can ever give is that you make sure that you're supported by other people at this time. And if you have a partner, yes, it should be that partner, but chances are you're going to need another person in addition to that partner depends you know if it's if it's your first baby and it's just you and your partner that partner should be should should have two full hands to help you and to be there for you right unless they're at work or they're not able if you have other kids your partner is going to have, have to be completely in charge of your other kids so chances are you might need another person there to support as much as possible if you don't have a partner you are to whatever degree possible it's going to be so valuable for you to have a person there for you postpartum, whether it's one of your parents or a trusted friend or a sister or a sibling or just someone in community with you that can be there to help you with the logistical and practical things that you need because you're going to need it. it. We can't stay in bed if we have to get up and cook three, four times a day. We can't stay in bed if we have to get up every time we need a glass of water or a cup of tea or, you know, to answer the door or all this other stuff. You, you need someone there. And if you've been thinking, but it's not so hard and it's just staying in bed with a baby, like I can figure that out. I just want to tell you, like, no, you know, if you have the possibility of someone there, if you have the ability, if you have that 
blessing, because it is a huge blessing, then make it happen, make it so. And prepare for that really well. In my book, it looked like preparing Dennis for the fact like, hey, I want to be in bed for two weeks. Here is what that looks like. Here is what I'm going to need. I'm going to need for you to be in charge of Leia completely. Like I'm going to need for you to drive her to school and pick her up and bring her back. I'm going to need for you to be in charge of keeping the house in order, whatever order we can manage for these weeks. I'm going to need help with food. And to make that as easy as possible, I really prepared and pre-made so many meals and had our freezer completely stocked with foods. But really preparing him, and I think even though I really felt like I spent time preparing him for what I wanted for this time, he was still kind of in shock of how how big of a need I had. You know, he's used to me being very self-sufficient and independent and figuring everything out and kind of, I'm, I'm the one who takes the lead in the family in many ways. And I'm the one who cooks and I'm the one who, you know, takes care of the majority of the house and we have different responsibilities and and mine are those. And it's like, I need you to take up, take all of my responsibilities now for this amount of time. And uh, yeah, and so I really did prepare him for that. And I, I kind of thought that, that that would be enough just having Dennis there because Leia would be in school for the first few weeks. She had the first two weeks, uh, school was still on before summer vacation and, and school closed. But it was a lot. It was a lot for him to manage. It really was. Uh, and he was really overwhelmed in the beginning. But and this is, you know, just just sharing this so that you can really take to heart that having a village, even if that village is just one person, it's a mother-in-law, it's whoever, is everything. So for me, I managed to stay in bed the whole first week, pretty much. And I would leave to go to the bathroom. I eventually showered. I can't remember what on day what that I actually showered. And Dennis made all the meals for me which has never happened ever. And it was so beautiful. And I got to stay in bed with the baby and Leia would wake up and he would kind of, he would come in and give me my first breakfast. And this is something it's on my list to stay nourished and to eat way more than we normally eat. And I, and I really mean to eat more than you ate during pregnancy, when, especially if you're breastfeeding. I mean, 1000%. So he would wake up, kind of get Leia ready, bring me a first breakfast, which would be Sometimes it was like a cup of tea and a hard-boiled egg or um, some oatmeal or something small that he could just swing really quickly while getting Leia to school and make sure that I had my water and that I had everything I needed within reach, right? Because I couldn't just run out of bed and, and figure things out. And then he would come home and then he would make second breakfast, which was breakfast for him and me, and bring it to me on a tray in bed, something bigger and more nourishing. And then eventually, not long after that, I would need some lunch. And then eventually I would need snack. And then eventually we would all need dinner, right? And pick up Leia from school and dinner. So this really is like, it's a full-time job to care for a new mom. And a couple of years ago, I would have felt a lot of shame around that. Like needing that amount of support, asking for that amount of support from him or from anyone would have felt very odd and like, you know, almost conceited, like a little arrogant, like who am I to demand all these things from someone? And now I look at this really as bare minimum. Like you have gone through 10 whole months of pregnancy. You have gone through the biggest, biggest, craziest, hardest journey of your life birthing this baby. And you've jumped straight into an even harder, even crazier journey, which is caring for a newborn, nursing, 
trying to heal postpartum, all of these things. I mean, there is no harder thing ever. So asking to have your most basic needs met when it comes to food, when it comes to nourishment, when it comes to hydration, when it comes to support, it really is so basic, so foundational, so fundamental, not at all a big ask. It's not. And we should look at every every birthing woman with these eyes. So number one, you know, being supported, making sure you are as supported as you possibly can be. Number two, to stay in bed. (laughs) Okay, these are my biggest things. And to stay in bed as long as you possibly can and to stay in bed with your legs closed. And this is something that I've learned from the free birth community, that the best way truly to heal postpartum, however you birthed, you know, if we had a quick birth or a long birth or a very hard birth or an easy birth, like whatever came your way, birth is birth. Birth is huge for the body. To stay in bed with your legs closed. To not, you know, we're not going on our yoga mats to go into pigeon pose or to do squats. We're not doing kegels. We're not engaging anything. We're not sitting with our legs flopped open. We're just staying in bed with our legs closed, giving this internal organ that the uterus is a chance to heal, giving our vaginas a chance to restore and to heal, giving, you know, time for all the swelling to go down, for everything to, for the body to do what the body does. The body knows how to heal postpartum. The body is designed to heal postpartum. And the best way for the body to do that is for us to give the body all the chances and all the support it needs to actually arrive at that state of healing. And that means rest and nourishment and hydration, right? So legs together, closed in bed. So, so, so important. A consistent body care routine is really important part of my self-care. I feel so much better when my skin is looking and feeling good. It's such a small thing that has a big impact on your overall day for your well-being. A consistent body care routine doesn't just promote healthy, glowing skin. It actually boosts our mental health, too. So give your skin a glow up with Osea's clinically proven seaweed-infused skincare that provides results you can see and confidence that you can feel. Osea's Andaria Algae Body Butter is not your typical body butter. It transforms dry, crepey skin to smooth, soft, and supple skin, and it's my absolute favorite. I use Osea's products religiously, and I have been for years. It really is the best out there. One of the best parts about the body butter is that it's non-greasy. I hate putting on body lotion and feeling slippery and sticky all day, but Osea's body butter absorbs right into your skin, leaving you feeling hydrated and ready to make the best of whatever is next on your agenda. And it's been shown to hydrate you for 72 hours after applying. Skin care is self-care, so this is a habit worth keeping all year round. With Osea, you will get clean, seaweed-infused products from a company with over 27 years of experience, making sure they are the safest for your skin and the planet. All of Osea's products are vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Glow from the inside out with clean skin and body care from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with the code YOGA at OseaMalibu.com. You'll get free samples with every order and free shipping on orders over $60. Head to OseaMalibu.com and use the code YOGA for 10% off. And then something that's really, you know, that really comes together with the point on nourishment is to stay warm. And this is in Ayurveda, in traditional Chinese medicine, in a lot of systems and a lot of sciences, this is what you come back to is that the body postpartum needs warmth. And this is something I really messed up in my first time around. And I can 
feel it. I can look back at that time and really feel it. So I was sleeping in an air-conditioned room and keeping air conditioning really, really cold. Um, I feel like I was sweating a lot. Uh, just, you know, we do sweat a lot when we're breastfeeding. I feel like we smell a lot breastfeeding. I mean, the body's just like doing so much. And I just remember I, I just wanted the AC on and I wanted to keep it kind of cool, which is really not what we need. I was barefoot all the time. I was eating smoothies and cold chopped fruits and a lot of salads and I had green juice every day. Like all the things I ate postpartum the first time around are the things I've stayed the, the furthest away from this time around. I think I had ice in all of my drinks. Like I was just, you know, I was just going for the cooling cold stuff and also the things that felt very natural to me being vegan. I thought a green juice, that's the most healthy thing I could possibly ever eat, right? Like that's the best. So I wasn't eating a lot of calories. I wasn't nourishing myself well and I was staying really cold. Now, what the body really needs postpartum is warmth and heat. So make sure that you have socks on at all times. Like I really kept socks on even on warmer days. I mean, I gave birth in the middle of summer, like I kept my feet warm. We have these wooden floors and it does get drafty. My feet are the first to get cold. So I just kept my socks on all the time, stayed under the covers, hot water bottle or one of those, what do you call them? Like one of those, like a heating pad or a, a warm, what do you call them? It's like a little fabric thing that you put rice or corn or something in and you put it in the oven. Oh, I use it every month and now I'm blanking on the name. You know what I mean? It's like a heating pillow. <laughs> Can I call it that? Keeping it on your belly, on your uterus to stay warm. And then of course, most important that you eat and drink warm foods. So the things that I ate that I really focused on and the things that I prepared, and this is my next point, is to pre-prep your meals. I really focused on foods that are meant to be had warm and that are nourishing and also warming spices like a lot of cardamom and cinnamon and ginger and pepper and just warming, heating things, also warming herbs and drinking tons of tea. Okay, so nourishing, hydrating, warm fluids. I drank tons of broth as well. And this will take us into our next point, which is the food. So I really feel like past Rachel, which is pregnant Rachel, did future Rachel a massive favor by preparing and pre-making and freezing so many nourishing meals. And I was thinking about it when I was pregnant and I just thought, okay, we're pregnant for about 40 weeks. If I make one meal per week, just one, and even if you start when you find out you're pregnant, maybe which is week eight or 10 or later, I don't know, you can still swing this by cooking one or two meals per week. But if I just do one meal or maybe two meals per week that I freeze and put in a container in the freezer, that means I'm going to have a meal a day or several meals a day if I make them big, right? Or a meal for the whole family every day for 40 days. And that's exactly what you need, right? So I made tons of soups and stews and really hearty like chilies and curries and I made so much broth, so much bone broth, a lot that I just completely stocked the freezer with bone broth. And then every single morning on his way to drop Leia to school, Dennis could go to the freezer and just take a meal out for the day. And by the time it's lunchtime, that meal has defrosted. And a lot of days, like I made so much, like I would make like a huge thing of 
yeah, say like a meat stew, like a really big one. And then I could have that for lunch and it would still be enough for all of us to have for dinner, you know. And it's just been really, really helpful to have all those meals there. Or even for me to just on my own, like now that I'm moving about, I can just go grab something. And I know in a couple hours, like I have this or I just put it on the stove and it's ready. It's been a huge blessing. I've also been eating a lot of congee, like a lot of rice porridge and tons of oatmeal. Like for breakfast, I've focused more on, yeah, really on. I've been eating a lot of really healthy, hearty, sprouted, um, high protein oatmeals um, and tons of broth and so much tea. So, you know, and you should, of course, go for whatever you love and whatever you find most nourishing and even making things like making big, you know, batches of lasagna or whatever you and your family like to eat, having that in the freezer as much as possible. Amazing. In a lot of countries, there's also postpartum meal delivery services. It's not really a thing here in Sweden. I found one woman who does it here, but I I couldn't find more than that. But I know in the States, there's tons of places that do it, especially if you live in a bigger city. Um, If you have the funds, if you can afford it and you can order a postpartum meal delivery service where you actually have a person dedicated to cooking very nourishing meals that are meant for the postpartum period. Because, of course, if we live on the countryside, so we don't have this opportunity, we have no takeout, there's no takeaway, like we can't Uber Eats a single thing or Postmates anything here, it doesn't doesn't work. But even doing that postpartum, that's not going to be most likely what your body is is craving and needing. Of course, like no harm or issue in like having a pizza once in a while. But I really felt like we, that's how we ate a lot in, um, when Leia was born, we did a lot of takeaway and we ate a lot of pizza and a lot of pasta and a lot of kind of really shitty Chinese food from the place around the corner. And it just wasn't super nutritious. And if you have the funds or you have the ability to have someone cook for you or, you know, to make that happen for yourself, then absolutely, I would say it's worth spending money there. So yeah, cook and prep food, so important. Now, staying hydrated, we all know breastfeeding, I mean, that feeling of like the baby will latch and I feel like I'm sitting in a desert and I'm going to (laughs) die. Like It really is that immediate feeling like he latches. And I get so thirsty. I feel like I haven't had a sip of water for weeks. I'm going, I'm so parched. I'm literally, I'm going to die. Like I'm so thirsty. So having, making sure that you have not just water, but also mineralized water. I'm a huge fan of just adding minerals to our water. Of course, making sure that the water you're drinking is pure, that you're not drinking chlorinated crap water from the tap, you know, really check your water, um, the state of your water where you live. And um, drink good purified water and add some minerals, some electrolytes, add some goodness to those. You can make your own electrolyte drinks, you know, just adding some, adding some like Himalayan salt to your water, maybe with a little honey or a little, you know, little, um, so I do one where I do Himalayan salt, squeeze of lemon, and then some like cherry juice or pure cranberry juice or just a little something for for that sugar and for, for more minerals into the water. And drinking it that way, just mineralize your water. You can buy electrolytes. There are so many, many brands that do that now. But yeah, mineralized, healthy, purified water all through the day. Um, if you are moving around the house, just leave huge jugs of water everywhere. I also really recommend from the moment that you start kind of leaving your bed and you're leaving your bedroom, 
have a little basket, like I have one of those little raton, tiny little baskets, and have everything you need in there. Like you have a water bottle in there. If you're reading a book, you have the book in there. Maybe you have your lip balm, you have tissues if you need it, extra breast pads, like maybe a little blankie for spit up, maybe a diaper, you know, everything you need for diapering. Just your most important essentials go in that little basket. And then if you're moving from the bed to the couch or the couch to the kitchen, you just bring your little basket and you restock it when you need to so that you don't end up having to walk from room to room. Oh shit, I forgot that thing over there. My water's over there and the diapers are over there. And and you end up walking around your house more than you need to. So just keeping that little basket with you is, yeah, once you start moving about, I think really helpful. So yeah, stay hydrated. And I would choose to hydrate as much as possible with warm fluids. So drinking tons of teas, herbal teas, herbal infusions, so, so good for you. So the herbs that I really focused on, and this was a question I got, in the very beginning, I I focused on really herbs that support breast feeding and that support breast milk production. So I took Shatavari, which is an herb that doesn't grow here. It's an Ayurvedic herb that's really balancing. So it's supposed to be very balancing for our breast milk production. It's supposed to be one of those herbs that doesn't make your production go insane. Fennel and alfalfa is also really good for breast milk production. So I took a combination of those and I started overproducing milk really quickly. And I don't know if it was just my body, you know, on its own and it would have done that anyway, or if it was the fact that I was taking a lot of these herbs. So I stopped But if you're worried about your breast milk production, if you want to produce more, then shatavari, fennel, alfalfa is a really good combo. So I took that in the beginning and then my my boobs started going, like I would literally just, you know, (laughs) open my shirt and milk would spray across his face. Like it was just like, like opening a tap, like totally crazy. But just herbs that are overall really supportive for the postpartum time. Red raspberry leaf is really supportive and strengthening and toning for the uterus. Really good postpartum. I would incorporate something for digestion, like an herb that you feel comfortable with that you know is very supportive for your digestive health. It's so important that that we're regular when we're postpartum and we all know why. The last thing we want is to be constipated postpartum when we're sore, maybe healing a tear, maybe dealing with stitches, you know, just constipation is the enemy (laughs) in the postpartum time. So something for digestion. I love a chamomile. I love a mint, like a spearmint or a peppermint for digestion as well. I would take something like a Nervine for relaxation. So maybe lavender in the infusion. I felt really supportive for me. And I've been putting rose and nettle in all of my herbal infusions. So nettle is super high in minerals and just an overall really good strengthening tonic for the body. And rose is just really supportive for the heart, like to bat for our big emotions, you know. So these are just some suggestions that I have taken. You can make your own combinations, do your own research, and also just feel into, like, what do I need? Is my biggest need that I need to soften and relax because I'm really tense and I'm worried or I'm on high alert, feeling wired? Um, Then focus on something that supports that. Is my biggest issue my digestion? Then really do that research and focus on that. I think it's good when we start researching our herbs, Usually they'll talk to us and our intuition will speak really loudly. So yeah, drink drink your herbal teas, stay warm and hydrate. 
And then some really specific things that I've been doing. And this is like, I really committed to this and felt so good. If any of this would have felt like, oh, it's not doing anything for me, or it feels like a waste of time, or I'm not committed, or not feeling present or grounded in these practices, then I wouldn't have done them. The first thing I started was a sits bath. And a sits bath is basically, it's a bath for your vulva and your butt. (laughs) It's a bath for your lower regions. And you can do this in like a little, like a little mini bucket. If you have one, if you have a little container where you literally just, just lower your, that part of your body into, if you have a bathtub, just filling the bathtub that amount, just a couple of inches. So it's just, um, just up until your hips pretty much. And you don't want to, of course, you could take a whole full bath, which also feels great. But since you want to, if you are using herbs to support and heal, you want those herbs to be as concentrated as possible. And then the less water you use, the higher concentration of herbs you're going to have, right? Uh, if you fill a whole bathtub, you would need to use just copious amounts of herb, of herbal medicine. So just a little bit goes a long way. And... Same thing here. So I use similar herbs in my infusions as I would for my sitz bath, but I would add some other just strengthening and supportive herbs for swelling, um, herbs that lower swelling, herbs that lower inflammation, herbs that support the skin. I used a lot of calendula in my sitz bath and yarrow. What else did I put? I, I put rose every single time, chamomile also, uh, go to cola I put. Yeah, there's there's also, you know, you can buy literal sitz bath blends. I'm, I mean, I'm sure they have on Etsy and online, lots of places you can find great ones. So basically what I did, and I started, I think day three, you can start pretty much right away, but I recommend waiting till you feel drawn. Yeah, that's the, all of these practices, you know, whenever someone asks, at what point do you start? It's like when you feel really pulled to do it. Unless, of course, you know, you can, everything you do, if you have a medical doctor that you trust, check with them and if you want to. But for me, all of these are always just intuitive when I feel really drawn and then I feel it feels really good and it's supportive and I keep going. So I think I started day two or three postpartum with the sitz bath. So what I do is I put the biggest pot I have on the stove with water and just a lot of the herbs that I'm using and I let that come to a boil and I keep it simmering for a while. So I really get a strong infusion the longer you keep it infusing, the stronger uh, your decoction is going to be, or the stronger your infusion is going to be. And uh, depending on my times, I've had times where it's just on the stove for an hour and I just keep adding water as it cooks down. And sometimes I just let it come to a boil and I let it simmer for 10 minutes and then I'm done. Um, and then I would fill the bath just as much as I would want it and then add my herbal infusion in. Make sure the temperature is perfect. You don't want to lower a newly <laughs> newly birthed body into scalding hot water. And you don't want it to be cold because you don't want your body to get cold. So, you know, just a little bit above body temperature. Just you'll feel it right away what feels perfect and right. And just make sure you're really uh, good about the temperature of the water. And then I would sit there and I would spend 10, 15 minutes, sometimes 20 Uh, And it really became my first time postpartum where I was alone, where I was really kind of with my naked body by myself. Just I had so many good, beautiful cries in the herbal bath, like in the sitz bath. Uh, It was my first time looking at my body, really, um, because I've been in the bed 
in the bedroom, kind of with the drapes half drawn and just covered in milk and, you know, wearing my postpartum underwear and and just getting in the sits bath, seeing myself, holding myself. It was, it's been very, very, very healing for me. And it's also a really beautiful time to make a connection to your vagina and to make a connection to your uterus and to your belly and to all the parts of your body that you feel are really sensitive and that grew to hold so much and that stretched to support so much. And it's just really a really vulnerable space to be in. So making that connection there by putting your hands there gently or speaking kindly to your body, telling yourself how proud you are of yourself, how much you love yourself, what a great job your body has done, what a huge, amazing feat. And I would just speak really softly to myself, sitting in the bath, crying big tears, just kind of telling myself that there's no rush. And my healing is happening exactly the way it's supposed to happen. And I am beautiful and everything is going so well. And thank you and thank you. And, you know, any love you can shower over yourself, this is a really good window to do that. So for me, the sits baths were really beautifully supportive, especially right in the very beginning. And then I started with yoni steams, yoni steaming. So yoni is a Sanskrit word for vagina and vulva. It's one word for both. I have a hard time sometimes with the English language that we separate the vulva from the vagina, that we don't have a good comprehensive word for just the whole. Yoni means portal, if you translate it directly, which is really cool. Really. It was also one of my mantras during labor. <laughs> I was going into the portal. So yeah, a yoni steam, it's a vaginal steam, which basically is, is kind of a similar idea as the sits bath, but instead of using direct water, you're using just the steam. So you can do this, you can sit on the edge of a stool or a chair, or if you have a chair where you can actually take the seat out, you can sit on a chair like that. You can also just scooch to the very edge and then you wear a full length skirt or you wrap a big blanket around yourself so the steam doesn't go anywhere. Uh, there are also yoni steaming stools, like literal stools that have a hole in them, where you just lower this pot of herbs, the same way you would prepare uh, herbs for a sitz bath. Uh, you lower that, put it on the floor on a heat safe thing, of course, and then you sit down over it. And here, just as with the temperature of the sitz bath, you just have to use common sense. You don't want to lower your vulva down over a scalding hot steam that's going to burn you but you also don't want to feel anything. So you have to kind of find that perfect temperature or the perfect amount of time to wait from having brought the herbs to a boil until the moment you actually sit down. And it feels so beautiful. It really does. And this also, it, it comes down to this combination of bringing attention and energy and awareness to this part of the body that is healing with the combination of the actual physiological aspects of the healing that happens together with the herbs, what the herbs, the properties of each herb and how they actually support your vaginal healing in different ways. And uh, I would do 10 minutes. I have a little yoni stool and I would turn on like a really beautiful medit meditative song for like an eight minute song or something. And also that would become just eight minutes of just breathing, just no distractions, nothing, you know, you know, baby safe with Dennis and just sit there and breathe. And Yoni steaming, it's, it's been around in Sweden for a really long time. 
uh, in Swedish, it's called Hukbald. The indigenous people here, the Sami people, did it, I think, a thousand years ago, really, really, really long time ago. There's uh, references to it in in literature from hundreds of years ago. And it's just, yeah, not a fad, but a, a, an old practice that also makes a lot of sense. And the more I steam, I try to steam every day, the better I felt. And sometimes I would alternate and do a sits bath one day and steam the next day. And sometimes I would miss a day or two because, yeah, life. But some for me, anyway, it's been a really supportive practice to have. I think anything that directly shifts awareness to your vagina is really helpful versus, you know, just putting it away. <laughs> I, I don't know. I feel like just putting on your postpartum underwear and then not looking at your vagina or feeling or touching and waiting to go to the doctor for someone else to tell you how you're doing or, you know, I really think that having that relationship and that communication with the portal is the biggest aspect of healing. Another thing I did, and this is going to sound super weird to you, I really believe in the healing powers of the sun. I I really do. This is a whole other podcast we can go to, but I uh, I spent all of my pregnancy, you know, in the whole spring and summer months in the sun, mostly naked and not just, you know, believing in the benefits of vitamin D, but really the healing properties of the sun. And I had this intuitive feeling a couple days postpartum that like I, I wanted fresh air. <laughs> I think it makes a lot of sense if you can to spend as much time as you can when you can without underwear to bring fresh air and sunlight and just wind I don't know just nature to bring those components to your vulva postpartum so I would lay down in a chair on the porch and just kind of open my legs a little bit and just lie there naked like it felt so good and not for like an hour in the sun or whatever but just like a couple minutes with direct sunlight toward my yoni felt really good and some of you are going to think that's weird but yeah I did that I don't know I didn't read about that or, or see that anywhere I just felt like oh I just I just need to be naked like this this need to be naked to not have underwear on I think makes sense but yeah see what what really works for you a few other things I've been using I've been using some infrared heat yeah just putting that on my on my uterus on my belly I also used it when I started getting a lot of upper back pain from just sitting a lot, not moving and breastfeeding and holding the baby constantly. I, I used an infrared massage device on my upper back. And then something that I find so supportive, really, really, really supportive, and you'll know right away if this feels good or not, is belly binding. And this is also, it's in a lot of cultures, just that you, the closing of the bones, the bringing the body together, the helping the pelvis come back to itself. So I used a rebozo, which is a, a Mexican practice. You have a long piece of cloth and I would tie it around my hips, around my pelvis. There's also really cool versions of this, but that I don't know how to do where you tie, you tie the cloth in a really specific way over your belly. Um, but I actually had a little, I don't know how you, how you call it. It's like a little Velcro thing you just put over your waist and on the days that I would use that, not when I was sitting, but just when I was, if I was walking around a lot, I just felt my core felt more supported and that pelvic floor feeling, because I get that at the end of the day, if I walked around a lot, like my pelvic floor feels heavy, still does. 
I'm definitely nowhere near, you know, out of my healing window. Like this is gonna, it's, it's gonna be a long, a long journey. I know that. So just doing that, the belly binding or the hip binding in the beginning felt really good. And that might also feel really good for you. And this is not in any way, has nothing to do with those weird like corsets that people use to shape their bodies or to look skinny or no, 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 no. This is, we're talking, we're talking ancient practices to help your bones, to support your core, to help you with your posture, to help you integrate back. And if that feels good, then go for that. It felt really good for me. Fast forward to the end of 2024. Think of your goals. What can you do right now to give yourself the best chance of succeeding? If you want to learn a new language, you absolutely should get Babbel. Babbel can help you start speaking a new language in just three weeks. So just imagine what you could do in a full year. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. I have always loved learning languages. I speak four fluently. They're so interesting. And I've even noticed that sometimes the language you speak can influence pieces of your personality. Learning my husband's native language made us understand each other on a whole new level. Now Babbel has gifted me my own account and I can't wait to dive in. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you actually start speaking a new language. It's designed by real people for real conversations. And their advanced speech recognition is like having your own personal language coach to help you improve your pronunciation so you can get prepped and confident for real-world conversations. Just 15 hours with Babbel is equal to one university semester. Overall, they have more than 13,000 hours of learning content, and you can browse more than 20,000 courses offered every month. Here's a special limited time deal for our listeners. Right now, get 55% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash yoga. Get 55% off at babbel.com slash yoga, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash yoga. Rules and restrictions may apply. Okay, I've kind of been, I've kind of like my little I, I took notes, like here's my little pieces of advice postpartum for the first 40 days. Take your supplements. We should always take our supplements, people. So obviously for your supplements, like what you want to take postpartum, research how you get most depleted. What do you need the most of? And the best way to take supplements is in food form. We all know this. So, you know, if you want to you wanna support your body and, and, and get your iron levels back or your vitamin A levels up, you know, it's better to eat liver than it is to take a supplement, but you might want to go for the supplement, you know, the pill version of that you choose. I've been taking lots of collagen just to support tissue healing, tons of collagen. I put collagen in my oatmeal. I put it in a lot of, you know, if I have a smoothie, I put it in there, like whatever. I'm mostly in my oatmeal. It's like my collagen go-to. Magnesium I take every day. That's also really good for digestive health. Uh, and to, you know, to stay regular and be able to go to the bathroom easy. I've been taking shilajit. I take almost every day. Electrolytes I take every day. So I get extra minerals. I drink nettle every day for minerals. Um, but if you have a good multivitamin that you feel solid about, just decide what you want and be prepared for that. And then take them every day. Don't skip a day. Okay. And then I think one of the most, aside from making sure you have your village, making sure you feel supported, 
preparing those people beforehand so that they know what to expect from you so they don't get shocked at your your level of need, you know, by really preparing them, asking for help. For me, I got to say, so of course, of course, Dennis is a huge help. I mean, Dennis is, he's my ride or die. He's my partner. He's the one I'm doing this journey with, right? Every day, every night. And we have a flow that works really well. But one of my best friends in the whole world, Michaela, she, and we didn't plan for this. Like she was here when the baby was born. So she had kind of reserved half her summer for our family. You know, like she intentionally didn't book trips, didn't wasn't planning to be away, wouldn't even drink a glass of wine when she was out at dinner because she was like, at any moment I'm getting in the car and I'm driving over to Rachel's house to, you know, for the baby to be born. Like she really, yeah, she didn't put her life on pause, but she really reserved space because she's for, to be here when the baby was born. And then everyone went on vacation and everyone was away and the baby was here and it just became natural for her to stay after the baby was born. And then when the baby was a couple of days old to come back and then to stay. <laughs> and it kind of became like every time she left, it was like leaving was like she was going on a little trip to go back to her house, but she actually lives with us. <laughs> and she has been the single most, the single most important, I think, really yeah, one of the most important parts about my postpartum healing has been having Michaela here. And she has been, she's just one of those people who can read people's needs without them having to say, right? So she would like enter the room and automatically scan the room. Like, does Rachel have water here? Does she want a cup of tea? Is her tea cold? You know, is it time for Leah to eat? Like she just had that second nature, that intuitive feeling where I don't know, all of a sudden she would just walk in and just give me this warm meal. And it was right at the time where I was like, oh, I'm kind of getting hungry. You know, there's always a glass of water in front of me when she's around. Like the kitchen's always clean because it's just her second nature to, to keep things that way. And it brought me this massive amount of peace, really. And it was different in a way. And I think maybe this is why it's so good to have a person that isn't your partner also there because then they can also support your partner and your partner doesn't have to be the one to do absolutely everything. And they might be overwhelmed and feel depleted in different ways. And if you have that other person that is like really safe feeling, right? Really supportive for this time, because not every person is, right? Just because you have a mother-in-law that has time doesn't mean that she's going to be the right person to be in your postpartum space, right? I mean, you really want someone there who understands, who's gentle, who's supportive, whose energy blends perfectly with yours. That that really works. And I mean, Michaela, she's like immediately postpartum, like she helped me change my pads when I was holding the baby and couldn't put him down. My baby was still attached to the umbilical cord. Like we have really, <laughs> we have a level of intimacy that is just, there's there's nothing that's weird or too much, right? And um, yeah, having her here, I'm just, yeah, I'm so grateful she exists. I mean, I love her so much. And um, that extra feeling of, of, of support was just incredible. Amazing. Amazing. So yeah, so aside from that, like having your village, having your people, having the support, because the support is also not just going to be someone to like keep the kitchen clean or bring you tea. I mean, that's really important, but it's also that emotional level of support of feeling like I'm held here. 
It's okay that I'm giving all of myself away. It's okay that I went through this massive journey that I'm maybe scared, maybe feeling overwhelmed, maybe sad, maybe all these things. It's okay because I'm held. There's a container for me so I can be a container for the baby. The emotional component is is everything, right? And this goes into my last piece of advice that I want to share for the first 40 days. And that is to be extremely mindful of who you let into your space. Like I just said, it's really common, I think, to like a week in, you know, people want to come visit and people want to bring gifts for the baby and to just be extra discerning about who you allow. Because all it takes is one person, that's the wrong person entering your space for your postpartum bubble to burst all it takes is one outing that wasn't right that wasn't the right time or the right thing it it takes very little for this very sensitive container that you've built to hold you in this really precious time for it to collapse we had guests here I mean we had the first guest we had we had some of our best friends Olivia and Patrick and their kids come for midsummer and I was nervous about it because there's lots of kids and I'm like oh what if I don't feel ready And then I really sat with it and I felt like, you know, we can make upstairs kid free. And if I don't feel like I want to see anyone, I'll just stay in bed. That's it. And I literally won't see anyone. And then at least like Dennis and Leah and everyone can have a midsummer celebration, but I can just stay in bed. And we are close enough that there wouldn't be any weird feelings about that. Like I could literally say, hey, I want to be alone. Leave me alone. And that would be fine. So we decided, okay, let's go for it. And it ended up being the most beautiful celebration. I felt so happy we had people here because they were the right people, right? I felt more supported by their presence than I did not having their presence then. It really was amazing. And then we had other people visit like later when I felt like, yeah, I think I was two and a half, two weeks, yeah, two weeks postpartum. We had we had someone here visiting and uh, that just left like a really kind of a nasty remark <laughs> I uh yeah this was a man of course it was a man I was holding the baby and he said like he walked through the door and I don't know if he just didn't have his head like screwed on right but look, kind of looked me up and down and said are, are you pregnant and my brain well like my brain just went very quiet like I was like what what <laughs> like I'm holding a two-week-old baby obviously I still have a belly postpartum right because that's what we look like most people postpartum and his first conclusion before he asked how are you was are you pregnant (laughs) and obviously it was like no mean intention you know or anything like that I think he just had like the world's biggest brain fart right but it also like a woman would never you know like why come into a postpartum space look a woman up and down see they have a bit of a belly and conclude oh they must be like I I, dude it was just such a fucked up weird thing to say and I like laughed it off I'm like hey this is what we look like when we've given birth I don't know what you expected like he doesn't have kids obviously doesn't have any experience with anything like this but it really hurt me like really not just in that oh you know, he thinks my body looks a certain way, but it hurt me that I had kind of opened this really safe space to a person that was so oblivious, to a person that was not in tune with where we were, you know, in this really vulnerable time where like, we're not sleeping and it's so hard. It's so new. It's so overwhelming. I'm trying to heal and then have someone like, look at me and say something that dumb. 
it was really hurtful and it threw me out of my it threw me out of my bubble i had a i had a couple days later this was my one big kind of yeah thing that i did that i wish i didn't do i think two days later i was like hey i think i'm ready for a walk and i wasn't i was two weeks postpartum i had still so much like pain and felt swollen and this kind of heaviness and um I still have pubic bone pain. I still feel my pelvis. My pelvis literally clicks. <laughs> it pops. It makes this popping noise. Like I, I, I was not ready for it. I was not even walking stairs. But all of a sudden, I think because I had that bubble burst and all of a sudden I had a presence in the house that wasn't supportive to this really sensitive time, I start to step out of myself and I go into my mind like, hey, I'm two weeks. I should be able to take a walk now. It's The weather is so nice. And I stopped listening and I just started doing. And I took the baby for a walk with Dennis and Leia. And it wasn't even that long of a walk. But I woke up the next day and I felt like I had just given birth. The next day I felt like I had just, I just wiped out like 10 days of healing. I had so much pain. I, I, I It was hard for me to walk. Like I just really was, my body immediately went like, no, like that was the worst thing. Go back to bed. And I had to tell Dennis, like, I'm going back to bed. And I think I spent three, four days again, like kind of chilling in bed, reading and not walking up and down the stairs, not cooking, just like I went back to this deep rest. And then I felt immediately better. And then I didn't do that again, right? I didn't, um, yeah, I, I went back to listening and just following the cues of, of what I actually needed. So be very mindful of who you let into your postpartum space energetically and emotionally. Make sure those people are really supportive. It's okay to say, hey, we ju I just gave birth. I don't want anybody here. And I think it's better to come off a little bit rude, better to be a little impolite, whatever that means, than it is to risk bursting that bubble. Um. So to the degree that you can, say no. If it's not a hell yes, I want these people here, these people are supportive, then say no. And set those expectations really clearly beforehand. You can say, hey, uh, yes, I would love to have you here. And here's what I need from you. You know, maybe you're not letting your baby be passed around from person to person immediately postpartum. Like we weren't doing that. You can set that expectation beforehand. Or I would love it if you didn't wear perfume before you came. Uh, I would love it if you brought food, uh, please. Before you come, ask if we need something. Or could you do groceries before? Like I asked that of every single person who came. Here is what we need. We're out of this, you know, bring food. I would love it if you cooked. <laughs> I would love it if, uh, you know, or take Leia to do something fun. Just really state your needs and you can set those expectations prior so it should not be you have guests over postpartum and you have to stand up and entertain. Hell no. You have to get up and make coffee for people or bake or cook or, you know, or people come visit and they leave your house a mess and then you have to deal with that. No, people who visit you postpartum should leave your house in a better state than it was before they came. They should leave a positive imprint on your household, on you, on your baby, on your family. They should leave you more nourished than you were before they came. They should be supportive and helpful and they should respect your boundaries, whatever those boundaries are, right? And I think it's really important to, to know this, this, that you know your boundaries already and the sooner you communicate them, the less of a surprise you're, you, those people are going to have when they come. If you all of a sudden say, no, I, I don't want you to hold him right now, right? It's okay to not want people to hold your newborn, <laughs> 
especially people who maybe you don't vibe with or people who don't feel steady or people who, I don't know, reek of perfume or people, I, you'll just feel, right? And it's okay to act on that intuition. Actually, it's essential that you act on that intuition. So those are my pieces of advice. I hope it's been helpful. I'm going to share with you now the list of things and a couple of these things I have mentioned already. So I might be repeating myself a tiny bit, but these are, these are the gadgets. Okay. (laughs) The things you can make manage completely without. Remember the most important things is your village. Most important things is your nourishment, your hydration, the emotional and energetic and physical support that you have in the first 40 days. But here are some things that I found really helpful for me. So the postpartum pads, these are important. Like some people bleed for a long time. Some people just bleed for a couple of days. I had two weeks of bleeding, but then I had really sporadic bleeding for another two weeks where I I wouldn't bleed for a whole day and then all of a sudden I would. So I still wanted to wear a pad just because I had that kind of in-case feeling. And having a pad that's soft, that feels good, is actually really important. So just investing in good postpartum pads, not just grabbing whatever's available. Obviously make sure organic, I mean, I would never use anything in my vaginal area that wasn't organic. So yeah, nothing scented or made with plastics or weird stuff. Just be mindful how you source that. And something that I found really, really helpful is to soak some pads in witch hazel, which hazel is really supportive for the vaginal healing, especially if you've had a tear or if you're really swollen. So soak some pads in, or not soak all the way, but spray them with some witch hazel and then put them in the freezer. Like that was immediately for the first days, like right after giving birth. Really, really, really good. I mean, really, I love, I really love that. And then having a peri bottle, uh, like a bottle for the perineum, but just a bottle so that you don't have to use toilet paper in the very first days also really helpful. And you can use the same herbs that you use in your sitz bath if you find them supportive in your peri bottle and just keep that next to the toilet so you don't have to, you don't have to wipe. And I would use like kind of warm water for that. Um, Just just refilling it. I would refill it every time I went to the bathroom just for the very beginning. I had one and I didn't think I would use one. I didn't use one with Leia, but it actually was really, really good. Enough pillows in your bed to breastfeed in every constellation possible okay there are really great breastfeeding pillows like pillows that are really meant for that that you kind of lay in your lap or you even wrap around you just a good comfortable setup in bed is so important so enough pillows and the right kind of pillow um, for breastfeeding in every possible position making sure that you can reach what you need and I remember now when I was breastfeeding Leia we had the kind of bed that had like a little ledge right above So I could put like a glass of water, I could put stuff right above my head and I just reached behind me and I could grab whatever I needed. In our bed here, we have bedside tables far away and I would like end up breastfeeding this newborn or that just fell asleep and I would be stuck. Like I couldn't move, I couldn't reach the things I needed. So just for me, having a tray in bed was really helpful. Also for eating, you know, like we had an Ikea tray. It's like a tray you can stand on. You can either stand or lay it down on a bed and it would just be stable and steady. And I could have like tea there and even food and stuff that I needed without it getting lost with all the pillows and all the things in bed um, just to reach everything. I found that really good. 
a Himalayan salt lamp in the bedroom. So I think it's really important. You can do this as soon as the baby is born to start distinguishing between night and day. It's really the first routine I find that you can really implement that when it's nighttime, it's nighttime. When it's daytime, it's daytime. That's it. And then it helps them regulate. Like Finn was born really thinking nighttime was daytime. <laughs> like They're often born that way where they're just opposite in their circadian rhythm. So helping with that. And then at night, because you want it very dark, you don't want to have a bright light on. You want to encourage really like the production of the melatonin, both for you and for baby. So keeping the room as dark as possible, but you still want to be able to see what you're doing in case you need to change a diaper in the middle of the night and when you need to breastfeed, which you're probably doing on demand all the time. So I love those Himalayan salt lamps with a really dark orange glow. We have one on all night. And it's enough, you know, it just gives enough light to see what I need to see and to see him, you know, without having to turn anything on and off, just keeping it like that. Um, yeah, that's probably maybe my favorite thing that I felt really need, really needed. The next thing I will share is a water bottle with a straw. And I got one of those camelbacks that has a straw that even if it falls or ends up upside down, it the water is contained. So like a spill free water bottle with a straw. So that means Dennis, if I'm holding him with both hands, which I was a lot in the beginning, now I'm more relaxed. Like now I can lay him down easier and move about easier. But right in the very beginning, you know, I'd be like stuck with both hands or in the middle of the night nursing. And I could just like kick Dennis with my foot and go water. And he would just reach the water bottle to me and I could just take a sip from the straw without having to use any hands. And also being able to lay the water bottle down in bed without it spilling all over the place, I feel really important because you need to hydrate so much. So just a good water bottle with a straw. So yeah, really well stocked breast pads, you know, those pads for when your boobs start leaking, which they do right away. I found I find I need those kind of all over the house and little blankets for spit up. Like you need more than you think. I feel like I got plenty and then like, a week in, I just placed an order for more. Like we just needed more all the time. And then I had, and this is, I don't know if everybody will, will want this, but I had a tincture, like an herbal tincture for after pains. I didn't end up using it, but I was prepared for when the uterus goes back to its, you know, it starts to shrink after labor, after birth. It can really, really, really hurt. For some people, it hurts more than contractions. And I remember when Leah was born, I really had those pains afterwards. So I got a little herbal tincture for that. But this time I didn't have any of those pains at all. So I actually ended up not using it, but I put it here on the list because I feel like it could be helpful. And my last thing on the list is a thermos for tea. Meaning if your husband makes you tea in the morning and you don't get to drink it because you have a baby... <laughs> <laughs> that you don't have to drink cold tea all the time. So like a little thermos that keeps your tea warm. So even if you get to it three hours later, it's still warm. I find that really, really, really nice. So those are my gadgets. I feel so organized today, having shared pieces of actionable advice and a little list of gadgets too. I wanted to end this podcast just answering a couple of questions because I got some really specific ones from you and I feel like they're really, really good. And I know this is a podcast that's really specific. You're going to listen to this if this applies to you. Okay, so a question I feel a lot of people asked that I want to share just what worked for me is nipple support at the beginning of nursing. Uh, so this is so different for everyone, but yes, of course, at the very beginning, nursing 
it hurts. It hurts like a motherfucker. <laughs> Not for everyone, but I think for most of us. And especially the first days, I mean, your nipples really are changing. And it's kind of like they need to become both hardened and softened at the same time, just in preparation for for the baby nursing all the time. And it's totally normal for that to hurt in the beginning. It's totally normal. I mean, some people get cracked nipples or they even bleed. I had, I think, day three, it started hurting really bad. And I had three or four days of wincing every time he latched. Like it just really, really, really hurt. And I know they have... They have those silver shields. A lot of people recommend those and say they really work. There's also, of course, lots of nipple creams. I even made a nipple cream before. I made one with, what did I use? Calendula and marshmallow, I think, with beeswax. Um, but I ended up not using it. I, For me, I think the way out is through if you can bear it. Um, so just the more you nurse, the more you keep your baby on the nipple, the more they're there, the faster that transition is going to go to getting the nipples prepared. So I just, I think the solution to nipple pain during nursing is to continue nursing. And if we stop and we try to take space away, it's just going to prolong that process, right? But for just really severe pain, I've heard those silver shields are really good. But I think the way out is through. Same thing with if you get, um, we call it mjölkstockning in Swedish, what is it called in English? Like mastitis, like when the milk kind of gets stuck. Um, the solution is to keep nursing, right? And especially to allow your baby to nurse on their own demand so that your milk production regulates to what the baby needs as fast as possible. And if you're pumping, that's really hard, right? It's really, and some people have to do that or choose to do that. But if you pump, um, the body doesn't really know what the baby needs. So you might be underproducing or overproducing and it might take longer for the breasts to really regulate the milk supplies. So I think letting the baby take the lead is really important. And of course, single most important thing is making sure your baby has a good latch. I think for a lot of nipple pain, if it persists after those first, like after the first week, it could be that your baby is latching in a way that's just really painful or that the baby isn't latching in a great way. So I've learned that you, you want to keep the baby's head tilted back a little bit, making sure that they're not like rounded in their neck and their upper back. So holding them a little further out toward the elbow so that they have they can open wider, they can open their jaw wider. If they have their chin tucked to their chest, it's hard for them to open wide enough to get a really good latch. And we actually want the babies. Like we actually want to imagine that as much of the boob as possible is going into the baby's mouth, not just the nipple, but you want their mouth to kind of cover the whole areola, right? So um, I was taught, and this was, I think with Leia, like I can't remember who showed me, but that you hold your boob like a hamburger. <laughs> I will never forget this hamburger vision. And then wait like ba baby's head is kind of tilted back a little bit and then wait for baby to open their mouth peak wideness so when they're really ready not just shoving the nipple into their mouth because then they might end up just sucking and latching on the nipple but waiting till the mouth is really open we used to call Leia shark baby because she would open her mouth like a shark and then she would clamp down on the boob like a great white clamping down on its prey and there's great support for this. I mean, obviously, there's YouTube videos and articles you can read and things like that. But there's actual human support where you can have a person come to your house and help you, uh, especially with something like latching that's really easy to adjust and fix. So, 
yeah, making sure that your baby has a good latch is so important. And here's a question. Are you going to see a pelvic floor specialist for recovery? Uh, the answer is I already have. So during pregnancy, I had so much pelvic pain, pelvic floor pain and pubic bone pain. I went to a physical therapist specialized just in this uh, all throughout pregnancy that mainly gave me body work, you know, helped me throughout pregnancy that way. But their main the main area of work that they have is actually supporting people postpartum. So I had a visit already with them and it was really cool. I got to do an ultrasound for my pelvic floor. Very, very cool. I, I did one when I was pregnant, early pregnancy. I never did one after lay. I had no idea. Like, how am I doing really? Because there's other things. It's not just like, obviously, if you pee yourself easy, like there's things that 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 might give you a sign that you want to work on strengthening your pelvic floor. I never had issues like that, but I also never really knew, you know, because I never had it. I never had a checkup or anything. And so I did an ultrasound in pregnancy and I had really good pelvic floor strength. They can also check if it's balanced, like left and right side, or if one side is a little weaker. And I had, I think, three weeks postpartum. Uh, I did an, another ultrasound and my pelvic floor strength was really good. But what I can really feel is lost and really challenging for me is my core. And uh, like getting up and out of bed. Uh, yeah, I, I'm going to need to do work on some pelvic floor and core connection. That's where I feel I'm going to need, uh, I'm going to need some support. So before I dive into any kind of workout or going back to the gym or intense yoga practice or running or, you know, those kinds of things, I will be doing some, some very integrated core and pelvic floor work. Yes. And I do think this is really, really good like only a good idea. I don't think anything bad can come from having seen someone dedicated to this or a specialist in this field because it's really hard to know. And rather than rushing back into a workout routine or to try to change the body to make sure that we have that internal strength and that we're starting up out in the right way, I think is really valuable. So if you have the ability to see a pelvic floor specialist or a physical therapist or uh, even just someone who designs you know, these kinds of gentle recovery, postpartum recovery workouts, I think is only a really good idea. Someone is asking, how do you cope with the lack of sleep? For me, this is always the most difficult part of postpartum. So in the beginning, I kind of wanted to do which this thing I wanted to do with Leia, which also didn't work, which I wanted Dennis to be really supportive at night. And uh, to be kind of awake with me and like, let's do this together. And just the same as I realized with Leia, I realized very quickly with Finn that that is just not helpful <laughs> at all. Mostly because when Dennis is awake at night, he doesn't function in the day. And there's very, there's a big difference between being, you know, postpartum and nursing. I have a whole different set of hormones flowing through my body that allows me to better manage sleep deprivation which sounds like a load of bullshit, but it's true. And I decided as long as I feel okay, I'm going to be really in tune with my own needs. I would rather let him sleep as much as he can so he can be a super dad to Leia and hold the household in the day. So I have nights alone. If something is needed, like I need water or like in the very early days when baby poops at night, like he doesn't do that anymore, or he needed a diaper change at night, Dennis would do the diaper changes if he was crying and needed to be like bounced or walked around, Dennis would do that. So the things that didn't involve 
breastfeeding in the very beginning, like he would help with. But then two weeks in, all of that stopped. Like now he just nurses at night. There's no need for Dennis to be awake. Like I, we are much happier together when he gets as much undisturbed sleep as he can, right? Um, so if I don't absolutely need him, I don't wake him up. What we do every day, which for me is the most helpful thing of all, is the moment the baby is up for the day, and this differs some days, like past couple of days, it's been 6, 6.30. Other days, it's been 7 or, yeah, it's, it's a little bit different. But when he's up for the day and it's like, okay, I'm not just feeding him and putting him back down for another cycle of two, three hours. So usually around 6, 6.30, Dennis takes him. So I just wake Dennis up and I'm like, it's time. <laughs> and then Dennis takes him and I get as much, I get, well, as much undisturbed time as the baby will give. So usually then he's he has a really long window of being awake and then he will go back to sleep for a long time without having to be nursed again. So some, I, I usually get two hours in that morning. So I sleep six to eight or 6.30 to 8.30. Some days I've gotten three full hours completely undisturbed. Sometimes it's one, right? It's, it's different. But I always have a window there in the very morning where I have no baby in bed. And I had, there's, it's a different kind of sleep knowing I can turn whatever direction and just like hug all the pillows and spread out completely in bed. And I go into this deep sleep. It's like my whole body knows the baby is not in bed and the baby is safe with dad. And I have two hours of just the most restorative sleep ever. And I have that every morning. Every, every, every morning. Yeah. Uh, and, and just the fact that we know that that's our routine. He has him in that time and I get to sleep. It, it really works. And maybe for your family, it, it's a different window in the day. Maybe there is a two, three hour window, you know, early in the evening, or you're the kind of person that can take a nap in the middle of the day. You can have a nap while your partner or person has the baby, but finding some sort of dedicated window every day where I know I have undisturbed sleep here helps me manage completely. So I'm really, as long as we can keep that up, we're going to keep that up. And having that little bit of routine together with your partner, I think is really helpful. And for me, the hardest part about sleep deprivation usually is, is dealing, like it's setting expectations, you know? So if I feel resentful that I'm not sleeping and Dennis is getting a whole night's sleep, then we just fight about sleep. So just setting the expectation that like, I'm okay, I'm nursing at night. I'm, I feel okay with that. I've chosen that. This is something that only I can do. And I feel really, for me now, it doesn't deplete me. It really works. And there's nothing he can do at night to actually improve any of this for me. Um, so this is just my role as a mom, right? And it's beautiful and it's very fleeting and soon it's going to pass. And it's tiring and it's hard, but it's also, I wouldn't want to give it away, right? I wouldn't want to trade it away or, or outsource it or, or not have it, right? Like if I couldn't breastfeed, I would be heartbroken. And it's a really special bond that I'm really happy I get to have. And setting that expectation for myself, because if I'm expecting Dennis to be up with me, then I'm going to start resenting him when he sleeps. And having that kind of friction in your relationship, I think is really, really hard. So yes, sleep when you can, find routine however you can, use that support from your partner if you can get it and try to incorporate that in the same day. And then I think sleeping, you know, in that really dark room, finding a way to nurse where you don't have to wake up and leave bed. I cannot imagine I mean, really cannot, like if he slept in another room and every time he needs to eat for him to have to wake up and go into a full cry for me to hear him and then walking, getting up, 
you're really leaving sleep, right? You're leaving sleep completely to go nurse, get the baby to go back down, go back to bed, and then two, three hours later doing it again. I think co-sleeping is the thing that allows sleep to work. At least it is for me, knowing I just kind of like, you know, snuggle us closer together and he latches and he eats. And then because his belly has been a little so-so, like I, I burp him. I didn't in the beginning, but now I burp him. I just hold him upright for a minute. And he doesn't always burp. I just think being held upright after having laid down to eat, I think is helping him. And I just put him back down and he goes back to sleep and I sleep right away. So it's not ever fully awakening, right? And that's just now. It's probably going to change, but it's what is now. And uh, I hear him crying right now, which means he has woken up from a very long nap. (laughs) This was a long podcast. I am uh, really, really grateful that you're listening. I would love to hear some more of your advice. I really am so, so fascinated and intrigued by the postpartum time. And I feel it's so important that we share this information and support each other and other women in getting the support we need. Hi, guy. so precious oh I could cry I don't know how much of that you heard if you heard a little cry there but no I just feel it's so important that we support each other in this time that we talk more about what we need in this time that we learn to get better at asking for help that we normalize the amount of rest and replenishment and support that we need in this time of our lives because it really is something special right it really is something And I hope you feel that you have the ability to be as supported as I've been at this time, or even more supportive, and that you can have your needs met. I want to thank you for listening. Have a really beautiful, beautiful rest of your day. And I'll be back next week. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. If you enjoy the show, make sure you listen, rate, review, and follow all episodes of From the Heart with Rachel Brayton. This was a presentation of Cadence 13 Studio, and I'll see you next week. Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale with Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases and shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval, no minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details.